You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. We can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello, welcome. Today's fic is One September Morning, written by Kitty Mao. And please don't worry, the story you're about to hear does not include my current voice. This was recorded a long time ago. The rating for this fic is teen and up. The pertinent tags include first meetings, strangers to friends to lovers, crush at first sight, falling in love, idiots in love, light angst, pining, love confessions. Walking down this rocky road One September Morning, written by Kitty Mao, read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. Rating is teen and up, fandom is supernatural. Summary, a chance encounter with an intriguing blue-eyed stranger upends Dean's otherwise mundane life. But can he muster the courage to make a move before it's too late? Thursday, like any other, when Dean's GE7-4612A alarm sounds, tuned to his favorite station. This particular mid-September morning, he wakes to Paul Rogers crooning the sweet yet melancholic ready for love and groans, flailing one arm out from beneath the covers with eyes slitted against the meager pink-tinted light of dawn filtering through his curtains to slap clumsily at the off button. As with his 67 Impala's original tape deck, Dean's a sucker for the old digital piece of junk he picked up at Goodwill eight years ago. Yet days like this make him reconsider using his phone's generic bell preset instead. Don't get him wrong, he digs the hell out of bad company, but love songs have been hitting him in all the wrong places lately. And no, contrary to what his friends will tell you, it's not because he's lonely. He has plenty of company. He dates. He's fine. Okay, maybe he's not fine. Dating is simultaneously awesome and a terrible sort of torture. 
like an alternate universe where he served perfectly cooked Kobe every day, but the craving for a disgustingly greasy bacon cheddar burger slowly wears away at him until it's all he can think about and the steak turns to ash in his mouth. Simply put, one-night stands just aren't doing it for him anymore. Haven't been for a while. It's with that ominous start that Dean drags himself through the monotony of his morning abulations. He takes a piss, brushes his teeth, runs some pomade through his hair, and swipes on a thick layer of deodorant. After throwing a plaid shirt on over a threadbare ACDC tee, shimmying into a pair of faded-at-the-knee jeans, and tugging his steel toes over socked feet, he grabs his favorite snapback, an army green canvas jacket, and heads out the door, with plenty of time left to make one stop before work. Same shit, different day. Morning, girl, he says, sliding behind baby's steering wheel and giving the dash an affectionate pat. Miss me? His brother says it's creepy that Dean talks and anthropomorphizes his car. But Sammy eats gross shit like kale and quinoa and listens to Celine Dion, so that renders his opinion moot in Dean's book. It's 15 minutes shy of 7 a.m. when he pulls the Impala into his spot at Singer's Auto Repair and cuts her engine, taking a brief moment to check his texts. There's one from Ellen confirming dinner at her and Bobby's place that weekend, and another from Sam doing the same as though he's irresponsible enough to forget. Dean's 24, for Christ's sakes. He practically changed the kids' diapers. He rolls his eyes, replies to Ellen with, Wouldn't miss it, kissy winky face, then sends a smug selfie to Sam, bird flipping included for good measure, which makes him snort because he can already picture in his mind the look that will cause. Bitch face number 13, most likely. The one that says, Really, Dean, grow up. With that, he shoulders the car door open and locks it, setting the phone on vibrate and slipping it into his back pocket. Dean's coffee machine at home rarely sees use, partly because it's old as balls and more jittery than a chihuahua in winter, and partly because the garage is right next to the gas and sip, so he never has to go far for his blessed caffeine. That's always his first stop, and that's where he's headed now, his shadow stretching across the pavement under a steadily rising sun. Once inside, he shuffles down the aisle toward the hot drinks and quickly pours himself the largest available cup of Colombian roast, glancing around to make sure no one's watching before he adds a liberal dose of sugar and cream. Drinking it black is fine and dandy when he has to, but, and he'll never admit this out loud, it tastes better this way. He opts for pumpkin spice today since they put it out early in the season. Yeah, so maybe he's a basic bitch at heart. It's a secret he'll take to his grave. He grabs a couple of kolaches on his way back to the front of the store, head down, the hand not carrying everything fishing for the wallet crammed into the pocket his phone doesn't currently occupy. And he's in luck, there's no line. So the second it's yanked free, he dumps the food and cup onto the counter and flips it open to remove a bill. Good morning, will this be all for you today? He starts at the gravelly, unfamiliar voice, blinking up from his wallet into the bluest eyes he's ever seen. Deep and clear as crystal, hooded with dark lashes, they're surrounded by an equally unique face. Broad, strong-jawed, with a slightly dimpled chin, straight patrician nose, and a shadow of stubble that seems to pay five o'clock no heed. 
Around his own age, he guesses, but maybe a year or two older. Not classically handsome per se, but definitely attention-grabbing. Paired with that voice, it's already one Dean's. The man at the register stares back, wide-eyed and silent, until someone clears their throat. Dean snaps his jaw shut with an audible click, unaware both that it had been hanging slack to begin with and that anyone else had approached the counter behind him. He slides the bill in his hand over, embarrassed, and mutters a curt, yeah. The new guy's eyes drop as he rings up Dean's purchase and hands over the change. Their fingers brush, bringing fresh heat to Dean's own cheeks. Flustered, he hurries out of the store, telling himself it's so he's not late to work, rather than admitting he just got friggin' butterflies from a stranger. Dean makes his way across the parking lot, boots trudging through last night's already gray and muddy slush. He buries his hands in the pockets of his jacket, lamenting his failure to grab some gloves on the way out of the apartment. It's not winter yet, but for as frigid as November in Lawrence gets, it might as well be. So the minute he steps into the welcoming warmth of the little convenience store, he's rubbing them together, attempting to blow some feeling back into his fingertips. At least he's got work gloves waiting in his locker with his coveralls. Pretty sure functional hands are a primary job requirement in his field. Stepping inside the gas and sip, he scans the store and spots the hot new guy, whose name tag Dean found once he wasn't too dumbstruck to notice it, simply reads, Cass. Rather than behind the register this morning, Cass is fumbling with the door where they store cases of beer that don't fit in the refrigerated shelves, arms full. Dean rushes over. Hey, let me get that for you. Thanks. Cass replies, voice strained from the efforts. Do you mind holding it open? Yeah, no problem. He pulls it wide, giving Cass enough room to shuffle inside, and follows him into the large freezer. Arms bulging within the rolled-up sleeves of his white button-down, Cass grunts and lowers his payload to the floor. He stretches as he stands, eyes closed, one hand pressed to the small of his arched back, and Dean knows the relieved groan that slips out is going to have a VIP spot in his spank bank for the foreseeable future. When they open, Cass's eyes slide coolly over him, paying him far more attention than any of the other times he's visited the store. Thanks again. That was a disaster waiting to happen, he says. Anytime, Cass. Cass cocks an eyebrow at that, and when Dean points at the tag pinned crookedly to his vest, he looks down at his own chest as though noticing it for the first time and mumbles, Oh. Figuring the time's now or never to shoot his shot, he juts out his hand. Name's Dean. Dean Winchester. Cass stares at the offending appendage so long that Dean starts to worry the guy has a thing about germs before he takes it and gives it a sturdy shake. His palms are dry and warm and surprisingly soft against Dean's own calloused ones, and the strength of his grip is giving Dean all kinds of inappropriate fantasies. Nice to meet you, Cass says. He licks his lips and grins. Pleasure's all mine. Cass's mouth curves at the edges, not quite a smile, but close enough. Then he bends down to the cases he still needs to sort, a clear enough signal that the conversation is over. Eyes glued to the way Cass fills out his jeans, Dean makes his leave and runs right into the closed door.
The leaves fade from varying shades of orange-red to brown, and drifting in lofty spirals to coat the ground, they rapidly disappear under increasingly thick layers of snow as autumn officially switches over to winter. With an endless stream of repaired engines, replaced batteries, changed alternators, fixed brakes, etc., Dean's days more or less blur together as they always have. He loves to work, though. Loves fixing things with his hands, seeing the fruits of his efforts, feeling useful. But he can't prevent the longing for more stirring under the surface like a current beneath a frozen river. The nagging sense that something is missing. Throughout that time, the highlight of Dean's workday quickly becomes his morning trip to the gas and sip. He learns that Cass opens the store every day except Monday and Wednesday, with one Sunday off every other week. It's not weird to notice that, Dean argues with himself. Just a casual observation, one any store regular would make. Gradually, Dean begins to find new excuses to drop by. At lunch for soda and a snack. After work for a six-pack. On days off to fill up baby's tank. Then he starts switching shifts with Benny. When Bobby notices, he gives Dean an uncomfortably scrutinizing look and just starts scheduling him for the days that Cass will be there. Might as well. During every stop at the store, Dean loiters as long as he can reasonably get away with. Luckily, Rufus, the manager, has known him for years, and so far nobody's called the cops, but he has gotten some suspicious looks from other customers. And every time, he tries and mostly fails to strike up a conversation with Cass. When he's at the register, or stocking shelves, or refilling the slushy machine, or sweeping, or putting fresh hot dogs on the roller grill. Dean can't tell what's worse, his own sudden frustrating and fucking unexplicable lack of game, or that Cass remains as unfazed and seemingly disinterested as that first morning. Weeks have passed, and they've still barely said a few polite sentences to each other. Maybe Cass is straight. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he just thinks Dean is weird. It's hard to tell. Why he even cares so much Dean has no clue, aside from it being rare to have new people around. Okay, and yeah, the guy is fine as absolute fuck. Whatever. The important thing is, something about Cass intrigues him. And once he has his sight set, Dean's a capital D dog with a bone. Er. Why don't you just ask for his number? Charlie says way too damn cheerfully one freezing but sunny January morning. Her fugly banana yellow 76 gremlin is at the shop, so he'd picked her up on his way to work to retrieve it. Two birds and all that jazz. Dean sputters indignantly. Dude, I'm not. It's it's not. Uh-huh. Look, Dean, I love you, but you're about as subtle as a sledgehammer to the face. He groans, scrubbing the rough palm not busy steering over his jaw. Chill out, she soothes. I'm not saying you should vulcanize his whoopee stick right off the bat. Just get to know him as a friend so you can figure out his deal, you know? First of all, fuck you, Bradbury, because now that earworm from hell is going to torture me for the rest of the day, he says, playful tone taking the bite out of his words. Second, isn't that still pretty presumptuous? Like it's not presumptuous to stalk the guy at work? I'm not stalking him, 
Dean grumbles pathetically. We work next door to each other. Close enough, bro. He flips the signal to make the final turn onto their destination street, determined to ignore his best friend. She throws her arms up with a dramatic, long-suffering sigh, but lets it go and changes the subject. Only half listening to her suggestions for his upcoming 25th, his mind wanders. Maybe Charlie's right. What's the harm in asking? A couple of days before Valentine's, Dean's surreptitiously stirring his coffee when Cass ninjas up beside him, plopping a small cardboard box onto the countertop. Dean almost spills it, slapping the lid over the cup before Cass can see exactly how light the brew within is. He pastes on his most charming smirk and says, Morning, sunshine, hoping his surprise wasn't obvious. Suddenly, a little pink-cheeked, Cass side-eyes him from a pile of single-serve sugar packets and stirring straws he's currently restocking while Kevin, the high school senior who's worked there part-time for the last year and a half, mans the register. Cass's lips twitch into a small smile, and his eyes even hold a hint of warmth. Like maybe he's actually glad to see him. Dean can hope, right? Hello, Dean. He sips the coffee and immediately masks a wince as it singes the tip of his tongue. So, uh... He draws. Any plans for this weekend? Smooth, Winchester. Cass's face turns towards him and he nods, expression contemplative. Yes. Oh, Dean says, trying not to sound too disappointed. Might as well twist the knife in a little deeper, maybe throw a little salt, too, because apparently Dean's a masochist. Uh, anything exciting? On my Sundays off, I go to the library to study, Cass replies, neatly organizing everything on the single-serve shelf. Okay, that's a little strange. But if he doesn't have a date, that must mean he's single, right? Dean does a mental fist pump and sidesteps an inch closer. Really? Study for what? I. Cass pauses, glancing towards the front of the store, probably to make sure Rufus hasn't come out of the office. The box of supplies sits empty in front of them. For school. Oh yeah? Are you going to KU? Yes. Cass fidgets a little, shifting on his feet. Their arms brush together and Cass moves away. But rather than the abrupt abandonment of their conversation he typically pulls, he turns and faces Dean fully. I'm finishing my master's. Dean's eyebrows rise. Smart and good-looking. That's awesome, man. My brother Sam goes there, too. Maybe you've met him. Big Sasquatch of a guy? Hair like he's the lost Partridge sibling? Cass squints, head tilted. Perhaps. Held down by his hip, Dean twists the plastic stirrer between his forefinger and thumb, and a lingering droplet of coffee splashes onto the toe of his boot. Stepping forward into Cass's space, his nose captures a pleasant scent. Soap, or maybe aftershave. Something sharp yet earthy and clean. Reminds Dean of Petrichor, the aroma of dew clinging to the moss and leaves and delicate petals scattered across a forest floor the morning after a tepid rainstorm. It suits the guy, somehow. Cass's lips part around a soft intake of breath, and Dean's eyes fall to track the movement. His heart races, the tinny music from the overhead speakers drowned out by its frantic da-dum, da-dum, and blood thrumming hotly through his veins. 
he tosses the stirrer stick into the plastic recycling bin behind Cass. Blinking slowly at him like a drugged owl, Cass hooks a thumb over his shoulder and murmurs, I should. Right, Dean says, then clears his throat. I will, um, see you later. Cass nods again, already slowly backing away, his shy smile from earlier growing a fraction. He starts to turn around but hesitates, gaze flitting to Dean one last time. Have a good day at work, Dean, he says coyly. Dean walks into the garage that day with his face nearly aching from the grin stretching across it. It's not until midway through his shift he realizes that he didn't ask for Cass's number, or that date. Gut deep under the hood of a 2002 Toyota Corolla, Dean hums under his breath along to sticks pouring from his earbuds while he works. With spring approaching and the adrenaline of a busy afternoon flowing through him, he's stripped the top half of his coveralls, leaving the sleeves tied around his waist. The mild air feels pleasantly soothing against the exposed skin his black t-shirt doesn't cover, and as a bead of sweat traverses down his forehead, he grabs the rag hanging from his back pocket and wipes it away. Right when he moves to return it, someone yanks the dangling cord, the earbud popping free and bouncing against his chest. Hey, Dean shouts. He shoots up, smacking his head on the underside of the open hood. Boy, I've been hollering for five damn minutes, comes Bobby's gruff voice. Told you idiots if you're going to wear these at work to keep the volume low. Now do I need to revoke that privilege? Sorry, Bobby, Dean grimaces, rubbing his sore skull. What's up? Arms crossed, Bobby grunts. Boyfriend's here and jerks his head, indicating somewhere over his shoulder. His face flushes. What? Don't play dumb, Bobby says, scruffy salt and pepper beard curling around a smirk. Go on, I'll send Ash over to finish the Corolla. Son of a bitch. Everyone has picked up on his stupid crush except the guy himself. Dean heads over to the shop sink and quickly washes his hands. Not quite good enough to get all the grease from under his nails, but it'll have to do because he doesn't want to make him wait. Still wiping them dry on his thighs, Dean walks out from the open bay and sees Cass standing in the parking lot, his back to Dean, beside a gold Lincoln Continental Mark V. Late 70s, Dean guesses. And not bad, but the color does it no favors whatsoever, and it's the absolute last thing he ever expected to see Cass driving. Curious, he heads over, boots crunching across the sun-baked gravel. Cass turns upon hearing him approach, a flicker of nervousness crossing his face. Hello, Dean. Cass greets, hand raised in an awkward wave. Hi, Cass. What's up? My car. Obviously, Dean thinks but doesn't say. Cass's hands flutter at his sides for a second, then he glares down at them as if they've betrayed him somehow and shoves them roughly in his pockets. It's, um, making a strange noise. Dean chuckles. Kind of vague, but I've heard worse. We can work with that. With a hand poised to shield his eyes, he squints up at the sky, remembering the time. Shouldn't you be at work right now? I, I, I'm on break. Cass replies, giving a little half shrug and ducking his head. Yeah? 
Dean grins excitedly. Hey, uh, what do you say we grab a bite for lunch? It's about time for mine, too. Cass looks up, surprised. I... Okay. The faint dusting of color along his cheekbones really brings out his eyes. I'd like that. Dean takes him down to Mosley's Diner. It's a cozy little place which bears some of the city's best burgers, courtesy of its owner, a sweet, stout older lady who's known nearly every regular patron since they were knee-high, including Dean and his brother. Soon as they walk in, the tinkling bell above the door signaling their entry, Dean spots the woman herself standing behind the counter. Smiling, big brown eyes warm and bright, she waves them over. Dean, sugar, she crooned sweetly. How you been? He returns her fond expression and takes a seat on a vinyl bar stool, gesturing for Cass to join him. Doing good, Miss Mosley, you? I'm fine, baby. Busy. She glances between him and Cass. Don't be rude now. Are you going to introduce me to your friend? Apologies, ma'am. Cass, this is Missouri, owner of this fine establishment. Missouri. Cass. Just Cass? She asks with a teasing lilt. Castiel Novak, ma'am. Cass extends a hand, which she clasps gently between both of hers. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, my, polite and handsome. He's a keeper, she says, pointedly tossing a wink Dean's way. He flushes. She releases Cass's hand and innocently pulls a pad of paper and a pen out of her apron. Clearing his throat, Dean glances at Cass to gauge his reaction but it seems he's already more invested in studying the daily specials menu written on the blackboard above the serving hatch in thick multicolored chalk. They both order burgers and Cokes, and soon after delivering their drinks, Missouri wanders off holding a fresh pot of coffee to make her rounds. Once alone with Cass, the nerves kick into high gear. He's wanted to ask Cass out for months by this point, but now they're actually sitting down together somewhere outside of work, and he's at a complete fucking loss. His eyes zero in on the napkin he's currently shredding for want of something to do with his hands. I'm guessing you come here often. Cass sets his cup on the counter and wipes a hand over his mouth. For the first time, Dean notices how long and beautiful his fingers are, heat flaring low in his belly at the thought of being touched by them, of those hands on his skin. Ever since I was a kid, yeah. Missouri gave me my first real job, actually, as a busboy. She knew my parents before they, um... He trails off for a second. They passed away. House fire. Cass seems to understand. I'm sorry. Yeah, was was a long time ago. Dean scoops all the napkin pieces into a pile and pushes them away just as Missouri hands them their plates. They both smile and thank her. Bobby, though, you met him. He and his wife Ellen took us in. He pushes the ketchup around his plate. What about you? Are you from around here? Cass shakes his head, chewing and swallowing a french fry before he speaks. Pontiac, Illinois, actually. My sister Anna and I moved there a few years ago after our brother's wife left him. He wasn't prepared to raise a baby alone, so we're helping him out. Damn. Yeah. No other family here? Nope. Rest of them are still back home, except Gabe. He lives out in Los Angeles. Visits us sometimes, though. Jesus, big family, I take it? Cass laughs. Dean realizes he's never heard him laugh before. Not like this. 
It's higher pitched than his normal voice, goofy and stuttered, just shy of straight-up snort, and he decides he loves the sound. You have no idea, Cass says. He's still smiling as he stuffs his cheek full of the burger and groans with pleasure. On the ride back, the scents of native cottonwood, oak, and wildflowers drift on the wind through the open window through which Cass gazes. Sunlight dances across his tanned skin, emphasizes the brown highlights in his dark hair. His eyes flutter closed, lashes fanned against his cheeks, expression peaceful and content. Dean spots his hand lying on the bucket seat between them, and it takes everything Dean has not to lace their fingers together. It becomes a common thing, not the lunches, not at first, but Cass's piece of shit pimpmobile. At least every other week it comes into singers with some new problem. Needs an oil change, a tire blows out, the passenger window gets stuck open, the radio breaks. By the time Cass swings by with a busted tail light, Dean says fuck it, and the next day when their lunch hours happen to line up, he wanders next door right as Cass's brake starts and asks simply, hungry? Neither of them say a word about what this might mean, just silently climb into the Impala and head to Mosley's with both windows open to the spring air and Dean's favorite Zep mixtape playing through its B-side. Initially, they stay at the counter. After a few trips, they graduate to a booth. Dean prefers one in the corner by the window, relishes the way the afternoon sun there makes Cass's eyes gleam, and that booth is mysteriously never taken when they're there. About a month down the line, he purposefully waits until Cass is a few steps ahead of him to ask Missouri in a hushed whisper if she saves it for them. All she does is give him a knowing smile. Later, when Cass pats his satisfied stomach and says he'll meet him at the car, Dean thanks Missouri with a big kiss to her cheek on top of her usual generous tip. She cups his face in one softly wrinkled palm, her eyes sympathetic and kind, and says, You should tell him, baby. Ignoring the anxious twist of his insides, Dean offers her a wistful smile. Soon, he thinks, when I'm ready. Dean stands at his locker, strips his dirty coveralls, and tosses them into a pile with the others. Each employee has a couple of pairs, complete with a sewn monogram of their name, and Bobby takes them to get professionally laundered twice a week, since oil and gas fumes aren't safe for home washing. It's been a long damn week, and he's ready to kick back and do jack squat tonight. Already got a plan laid out in his mind, in fact. He's going to clock out, pick up some beer, say goodnight to Cass, go home, shower, order a pizza, and watch Dr. Sexy reruns until his brain stops working. So, Benny starts clapping him on the shoulder. Coming out tonight? Dean groans, only half feigning misery because he knows he's not actually being given a choice. Nah, I don't think so. You're breaking my heart, Cher. The burly New Orleanian says with a wry smile, hand held over his chest. Don't make me beg. Then Ash barges into the room behind them, wiping his hands on an oil rag. Hey, Dean, caught you just in time. Leaving the Impala at Singer's, the trio pile into Benny's pickup, and less than ten minutes later, they're claiming a table at their usual haunt, more than ready to shed the exhaustion of the day with some cheap booze and good grub. 
Harvell's Roadhouse, run by none other than Ellen, is a real jewel even in a college town like Lawrence. The hole-in-the-wall bar has been a staple of the community since before Dean was born, and like the show Cheers, it's the kind of place where everyone knows your name. A sort of second home where locals know they can relax after a long, hard day's work and enjoy a decent beer and pub fare surrounded by familiar faces. It's frequented by trade workers, students, and everyone in between. And to top it off, Harvell's is LGBT-friendly because Ellen doesn't tolerate that bigoted bullcrap, her words. And although she's got big, stoic ex-military Vic standing post to bounce the occasional rowdy jackass on busier nights, she's known for being an ace shot with the 9mm revolver she keeps under the bar, so more often than not, nobody's stupid enough to risk it. Full and satisfied, Dean leans back in the booth and nurses his beer, content to let it be his last before he starts on water since he's got to drive later. Fingertips tapping against the pint glass to the rhythm of fool in the rain, he smiles and nods, laughs when his friends do, and tries to keep up with the conversation, yet his mind drifts time and again. He's there, but not there, distant, until Benny snaps his fingers right under Dean's nose. That's it. Something's bothering you, brother. Care to share? Sharing is caring, Ash chimes in, words slurred. One of them is going to have to give him a ride home tonight. It's nothing. Uh-huh. Benny hums, disbelief coloring his tone. He sips the lone glass of mint julep he's been nursing for the better part of an hour, eyeing Dean over the rim. This have anything to do with Loverboy next door? Pfft, what? No. You see that? Ash points somewhere in the general vicinity of Dean's entire fucking face. That little twitch? That's his tell. Dean rolls his eyes. Remind me to never play poker with you assholes again. Come on, Cher, spill. Maybe we can help. Rubbing his stubbled chin, Dean relents with a sigh. I don't know what it is about this guy. He's just different. Like the one? Ash asks, probably one shot away from giving him full-on heart eyes at the news. No wonder he and Charlie get along, the saps. Dean shrugs, a wordless maybe that he knows inside is really a definite yes. But you still haven't asked him out, Benny points out. I can't tell if he's even interested. Just go for it, man, Ash exclaims, hands flailing in the air. Life is short. Benny nods solemnly. He's right. What do you have to lose? You miss your chance, you'll regret it. That night, Dean stares at the ceiling above his bed, Benny's words echoing through his mind as he watches the shadows cast by the fan flicker through the scant moonlight illuminating the room. It's 3 a.m. He works in the morning. He hasn't slept a friggin' wink. Turns out there might actually be more harm in not asking because the longer he's seen Cass talking to him and the closer they get, the harder it is to bridge this stupid invisible gap between them. They're friends, he thinks or hopes. He knows Cass, but still feels he knows nothing at all. As though he's from another goddamn plane of existence entirely, merely a visitor passing through Dean's on his way to somewhere or something else. It brings to Dean's mind that awkward sensation you get when you've forgotten a new acquaintance's name, under the assumption that they think you know it, 
You keep up the charade, shuffling and dodging around potentially using the wrong one to avoid causing offense. Then snoop and drop hints and lead them with little conversational breadcrumbs in hopes that they'll just say it out loud and put you out of your fucking misery. This really shouldn't be so damn difficult. Over the past few months, Rufus has been giving Cass more responsibility in overseeing the store, so it doesn't come as much of a surprise when he starts asking him to close up on occasion. It's a point of pride for Cass that he's earned that sort of trust, especially from a grumpy old bastard like Rufus, and Dean can respect that. Tonight is one such night, the culmination of a hot-as-balls Saturday in early June, and although Dean's already home for the day, freshly showered and sprawled on the couch in his flannel hot dog pants, his mind won't turn off and his stomach won't turn on. He hasn't even touched the beer sitting on his coffee table, condensation pooling around the edges of one of his cork coasters he got in a five-pack at Walmart when he first moved in. Sure, Cass is a tall, fit guy and it's a decent area, but something about him being in the store for hours like that, after dark and all alone, ties Dean's stomach in knots. Maybe Sam's true crime obsession is rubbing off on him. After an hour of intense internal debate, he decides to drop in and check on Cass before closing. Just to, you know, keep him company. Dean peers through the windshield as he turns off the ignition and smiles at Cass's concentrated frown. He's focused intently on counting the register putting the last of the day's cash into the zippered envelope which gets deposited in the office safe before making its way to the bank. Pocketing baby's keys, Dean makes his way to the door, wrapping his knuckles on the glass. Cass looks up startled and shuffles over to quickly unlock it. Dean? I'll have some beef jerky and a pack of menthols. You don't even smoke. Nope, he says, breezing in with a shit-eating grin in full effect. What are you doing here? Gee, it's nice to see you too, Cass. Cass shoots a scowl over his shoulder, retorting, I could get in trouble for letting you in after closing, as he secures the door. I'm sure Rufus won't mind. I'm being serious, Dean. I was in the neighborhood and saw the lights on, he shrugs, leaning against the front counter, ankles crossed. What you got left to do? Put me to work, buddy. You want to scrub the john? Dean grimaces, not especially. Cass sighs. I tried. Well, know how to work a mop bucket? They work steadily in an easy, comfortable silence, Cass starting at one end, Dean at the other, and within a quarter of an hour they meet in the middle by the drink station. Cass fills the pitcher with soda water, popping each nozzle off the soda machine and dropping them into it to be set aside, and then moves on to the slushies. Humming to a tune in his head, Dean sways his hips and dances with the mop, listening to Cass chuckle behind him. Then, shit, 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 Cass curses. Dean spins around to see Cass cupping his hands under the spout in a vain attempt to stem the flow of syrupy, icy blue mush. It's no use, though, running like a river through his fingers down his forearms, splashing all over the floor. Dean darts forward, wobbling and sliding around like a toddler on skates in the sledge. But just when he thinks he's regained his balance, his foot slips from under him, and he careens right into Cass, sending them both toppling to the floor. Give me the damn it, Cass, give me the thing! 
Cass's head whips from side to side, searching. I can't. I dropped it. They both lean in simultaneously, fumbling for the cap so that they might reattach it, and their heads crash together with a painful thud. Fuck! Found it. Cass screws it on and collapses back on the floor in an exhausted heap, breathing hard. Their eyes meet, and Dean braces himself for a verbal berating when instead, Cass bursts into a raucous laughter, shoulders shaking and head thrown back. The sound is contagious. Before he knows it, they're both giggling like little kids sitting in their pool of slush even as it soaks and stains their clothes. Rufus is gonna kill me, Cass says on the back end of a hiccup, wiping at his eyes with the only clear spot on his arm. Dean heaves to his feet with a grunt and holds out a hand to pull Cass up. Not if he doesn't find out. After the mess is mopped, evidence erased, and crisis thoroughly averted, Cass leads Dean into the employee break room. He wets two rags, handing one to Dean, and without warning strips off his vest and shirt, tossing them into a plastic bag. Frozen to the spot, Dean stares at the curve of Cass's broad, tan shoulders, the planes of his lean, muscled back and flat stomach, watching with bated breath while Cass runs the damp towel over his thick arms and chest, up his long neck, and then into his hair. When Cass finally adds that towel to the bag, his skin is glistening wet, hair disheveled as if he'd just rolled out of bed. Dean's pretty sure he's drooling. He turns and strips his own shirt, mimicking the process in a rush. He'll take another shower at home, anyway. Tugging open a locker, Cass pulls out a backpack, fishing around for a minute before slipping a new shirt over his head. While disappointing to watch all the skin disappear behind the curtain of cloth once more, it's for the best, because the last thing Dean needs right now is an inappropriate hard-on. Hey, Cass says. Dean turns to find him way up in his personal space and flushes from head to toe. Here. Cass shoves a bundle into his arms. Their gazes lock, Cass's eyes appearing darker than usual, a look hidden within their depths Dean can't discern. Must be a trick of the lighting, he thinks, but that fails to explain why the air feels so thick, anticipation a dense, humid fog hovering the few inches between them, and pinned by that piercing gaze, goosebumps prickle along his damp, naked skin. He shivers, watching as Cass's lower lip drags between his teeth. Dean longs, aches to reach up, to pull it free with his thumb. Wants to know if it's as soft and plush as it looks, how it would feel against his own lips, if Cass would taste as lovely as he always smells. Instead, Dean croaks hoarsely. What? I don't have another t-shirt, Cass says, taking a step back, but this should do for now. Oh, oh, um, thanks. Cass smirks, anytime. Dean's disappointed when he doesn't see Cass at the gas and sip the following workday. He moves through it listlessly, mood immediately dampened and his thoughts muddled. Then a few more days pass, still no Cass. A sense of foreboding builds in his gut. Something is wrong. He keeps his eyes peeled for the Lincoln as his brain spins scenario after scenario, beginning with the mundane and devolving into the horrific. Thoughts like, 
Maybe Cass has a cold. Become, maybe Cass got hurt. Become, maybe Cass is dead. And by the end of the week, it takes all Dean's willpower not to call all the hospitals and morgues and dig through the Lawrence Journal World's obits. Finally, that Saturday, he gathers his courage and asks Rufus directly. Rufus tells him that Cass had put in his two weeks not long ago with the explanation that he'd recently graduated and had a few jobs lined up he would be busy interviewing for, so he wouldn't have time to come in anymore. The shock must be apparent on Dean's face because Rufus, possibly the least affectionate person Dean's ever met, Bobby's the only one on the planet Rufus is remotely nice to, and even then it's more that they both begrudgingly respect and tolerate one another, having been business neighbors and friends for the past forty-something years, claps a hand on his shoulder, gives it a quick squeeze, and leaves him alone in the break room so that he can have a few minutes of privacy. That backfires quickly, though, when Dean realizes where he is, and the memory of the other night hits him like a ton of bricks. So close. He'd come so close. Dean walks back to the garage in a daze, goes right into Bobby's office, tells him that he doesn't feel well. Normally Bobby would give him shit, ask him something along the lines of, Ain't gonna upchuck on someone's engine, are ya? Not this time. Bobby takes one look at Dean's face and says, Take a few days. You need anything, call. color's been sucked out of the world, the previously joyful, vibrant hues of summer diminished beneath a filter of his ennui, and far less appealing than the view from under his blanket he loathes leaving every morning. He can't even look at the sky without thinking of the eyes he'll never see again. Dean picks up extra shifts, works himself to the bone with 60-hour work weeks for a while until Bobby cuts him off with the excuse of, You're gonna kill my wallet with this overtime, boy. Go home. Dean doesn't believe him. Bobby's worried, but knowing all too well how Dean reacts to emotional confrontation, he's probably unwilling to acknowledge it or thinks Dean just needs some space and will come to him when he's ready. So Dean goes home. He starts drinking, less at Harvell's and more at his apartment alone. He gets lazy about shaving, sleeps through most of his days off, loses six pounds, a mess of empty cans, mugs, and takeout containers pile up on his coffee table, the kitchen counters, a shelf or two. Everyone knows something is up, but no one says anything, at least not to him directly, but he hears the whispers and ignores them. It's no big deal. He's fine. One muggy August evening, Dean finds himself in the middle of the freezer aisle at the grocery store, staring blankly at the same row of pizzas for going on ten minutes. His basket is full of stereotypical lonely bachelor staples, frozen dinners and burritos, ramen cups, canned soup and chili, crap he surprisingly didn't eat much of before because he always loved to cook. Lately, however, he can't find the motivation to touch a stove opting instead for quick fixes the rare times he remembers to eat at all. 
He's half-heartedly contemplating the merits of pan crust versus rising when someone calls out, but it's distant, muffled, like there's a thick, fuzzy wall between him and the rest of the universe. Dean blinks. The sound gets louder, clearer. Then there's a hand on his shoulder, a strangely soothing and familiar weight, and it's pulling him, turning him bodily around. Dean. Dean blinks again. Familiar eyes stare back at him. Heart taking up residence in his throat, he bites back a sob. His vision blurs, tunnels a little. Dean, are you all right? He looks different, yet so much the same, wearing an ill-fitting suit and crooked tie beneath a rumpled beige trench coat. His hair is windswept, a bit longer than before, and the circles under his eyes are darker than Dean remembers. The eyes themselves are tired, perhaps even forlorn. You, Cass? Cass squints, head cocked. Yes, he says, a little uncertain, as though he thinks Dean could ever truly forget him. What, what are you doing here? Getting groceries on my way home, he replies, lifting a single basket. Same as you, I presume. Oh, right. It's been a while. Cass's gaze falls, as does his hand from Dean's shoulder. He shifts from foot to foot. You left. Me, he doesn't say. You left me. Yeah, I wanted to... Cass cuts himself off, rubbing the nape of his neck. I'd been job hunting since graduation and finally got something lined up at the university. I start at the end of the month. Dean swallows thickly, plastering on a fake smile. That's great. I'm sorry. Cass glances up, gaze soulful, searching. Dean looks away. He can't bear the hope within them any more than he can bear to live through that rejection twice. I I just saw you standing here, and I wanted to make sure you were okay. Sorry for bothering you. I'm fine. Dean lies through gritted teeth. Okay, well... In his periphery, he sees Cass's eyes dim, the edges of his mouth downturned. It was great to see you again. Take care of yourself, Dean. Cass backs away, gaze lingering for a long, agonizing minute before he rounds the corner and disappears from view. Stupefied, Dean stares at the spot Castiel Novak previously occupied, feeling the loss swell and crest like a physical ache beneath his ribs, a reflection of the space Cass had carved deep within his heart and then unwittingly abandoned. Seconds tick by. An elderly woman pauses behind her cart in the center of the aisle. Her foot tap-tap-taps against the tile. She clears her throat. Frustrated, she finally skirts around him, squeezing through the narrow gap, but it's too close a call and the rung where big items sit scrapes noisily along the bottom edge of the freezer door, dragging Dean out of his stupor. He's been waiting, hoping desperately to see Cass all this time, and now that he has, he's let him slip through his fingers yet again. No. One foot in front of the other, he moves, the basket in his hand crashing to the floor. He scans the sea of heads in the checkout lanes for that tousled brown mop, the frumpy trench, but doesn't see him. Running toward the exit, he finds it's drizzling outside, a humid summer rain. Dean crosses the threshold without a second thought, 
dashing through the parking lot, past Baby, to the corner of the street and there, head down, one arm hugging a plastic bag to his chest, the other in his pocket, Cass walks on the opposite side. A horn blares to his left and his hand slaps against the hood of someone's silver sedan as it nearly avoids bruising the shit out of his thigh, but he makes it across the street, eyes and lungs burning. Cass! Cass! Cass stops in his tracks, turns slowly as though in a daze, and before he can say a word, Dean has him wrapped in his arms, Cass's groceries crushed between them. Dean, what? He says weakly. I wanted, I fuck, I did, but you, you left. You left, and I never got to say, I never got to tell you. Dean pulls away, one hand settling upon Cass's shoulder, the other tilting his chin so their eyes meet. He needs Cass not just to hear him, but to see and know he means every word. Cass's lip trembles. Tell me, tell me what? I wanted to tell you why I call you Sunshine. Why I would play the same tape on repeat when you were in the car with me. And I know you thought I couldn't hear you sing along under your breath, but I could. You can't carry a tune if your life depends on it, but I don't give a shit because I could listen to you all day. I I wanted to tell you how cute it is when you know that thing you do when you don't get a joke. And, And the way your nose scrunches when you do and you laugh. And your laugh, it's the dorkiest goddamn thing. A low chuckle escapes, slightly strangled with emotion as he's inundated with memories nearly overwhelmed, and then softer. I wanted to tell you that I kept that sweatshirt. I kept it, and I wear it every night, or else I can't sleep, but it doesn't smell like you anymore. And you're, Christ, this is such a fucking cliche, but hear me out. The sky has nothing on you, man. Your eyes are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Gulping a lungful of damp air, he continues just above a whisper. Thing is, Cass... I'm crazy about you. Head over fucking heels. I have been since day one. Dean's eyes squeeze shut as he tries to regain his bearings. Now it's out there. He finally said it, and he's shaking, terrified, but so relieved that his body feels lighter, all the oxygen in it replaced with helium, and his head only holding on by the thin tether of a hysterical giggle buried in his throat, threatening to escape. There's a long pause. Just when Dean thinks Cass isn't going to reciprocate, he hears a thud, the crinkle of plastic, and feels a soft, tentative press of lips. Cass's hands cup Dean's jaw, fingers running through his hair, pulling him closer, the bag forgotten at their feet. An orange rolls out onto the dark, rain-spattered sidewalk, bumping Dean's shoe. Ignoring it, he leans into the kiss, deepening it eagerly and tracing his tongue along the seam of Cass's lips. They part, welcoming him inside, and he takes the invitation as a man possessed would, mapping out each warm crevice and pulling Cass closer with desperate fingertips digging into hips. Cass's mouth tastes of honey and tea and rain, herbal and salty sweet, of time lost and the beautiful here and now. More than anything, it tastes of promise. Dean whimpers when they part, craving more. Cass's eyes shimmer under the street lamp's dim fluorescent bulb, tears clinging to the lashes and his smile, Jesus, his smile. Dean wishes he could freeze this moment of time, bottle it, carry it with him always. Cass leans in, eyes drifting shut, and presses his forehead to Dean's. 
Me too. Cass confesses, his voice breathy and uneven. From that first day, Dean, you were, are, so kind and caring and funny and, and beautiful. I don't know how to, how to even approach you. He takes a ragged breath, lets it out with a soft huff of laughter. Remember my car? All a ruse. My friend Meg helped. She's very destructive. And pulling back, Cass opens his eyes and he grins. I know how you take your coffee. Dean laughs, burying his face against Cass's shoulder. We're a couple of dumbasses, huh? I prefer the word oblivious. Less dumb, less ass. Cass's head tilts, pondering. Unless you're into the latter, which I certainly hope you are, because I'm quite fond of yours. He kisses Cass again, ignoring the curious stares of passers-by. The arms encircling his neck, holding him tight, tell him he's safe, loved, and he feels rather than sees Cass's smile trail down to press into the tender skin of his throat. They're in their own little world now, Dean and Cass, a world of their creation, and he's never been more sure of anything than in this moment. Stay with me, Dean murmurs. A soft sigh. I thought you'd never ask. The End Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.